0: Morning. How long can I go on quiet before everyone would feel very uncomfortable? Apparently, three seconds. My name's Steven. We're glad you've decided to join us this morning, kicking off this brand new series, Quiet. I hope you have a successful year, a good year, a great year, a rich year, a healthy year, a fill in the blank year. But I also hope that you have the quietest year of your life. Who does that sound good to? That's a lot of hands. We're going to talk over the next five weeks about how to have the quietest year of our life. Over these five weeks, we're just going to look at one passage of Scripture. We'll kind of hop around to other passages, but really studying this one. Let's start by reading it together. First Thessalonians, by together, I mean, I'm just going to read it. You don't have to say anything. First Thessalonians chapter 4. But we urge you, Brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands, as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Paul writes this to the church at Thessalonica near the end of his first letter to them. The this that he's instructing them to do more and more is to love each other more and more. Paul's not angry in this letter. He's not disappointed. What he's doing is he's encouraging people who are already doing a great job. Like a student that's already getting A's, an athlete that's already performing well, an employee who's meeting expectations and beyond. Paul is saying, do now this more and more to this healthy, good, vibrant church. Do this more and more. Love each other more and more. And then Paul gives an interesting strategy on how to love each other more and more. Aspire to live quietly. Now you probably have a preconceived idea on what the Bible means by the term quiet. For some of you, that idea maybe is what drove you here this morning. You want to understand quiet. But in order for us to understand how to aspire properly to live quietly, we first have to look at what quiet isn't. And so in our opening talk this morning, we're going to look at this through three headings. What quiet isn't, what quiet is, and why quiet matters. We're going to start by dismantling false ideas of biblical quiet. That way we can aspire to the appropriate type of quiet. So here's what quiet isn't. Quiet is not weakness. Quiet can be confused for weakness, not having strong opinions or strong convictions in particular, not holding to sound doctrine, and standing back when people say something that's uh, wrong or incorrect, particularly as it relates to uh, theology that we would say is essential to Christianity. This is in contradiction to what one of the epistles says when it says to contend or fight for the faith. Quiet doesn't mean don't have strong conviction. What quiet means is how you go about defending your strong conviction changes. So quiet isn't weakness. Quiet also isn't isolation. It would be easy to obtain an element of biblical quiet by becoming a monk. Most of us, though, our year does not include moving to Tibet. And so for the rest of us, what does quiet look like? Because it doesn't mean just isolate yourself. There is an example in the scriptures. This is in the Old Testament. When the Israelites wanted to isolate themselves from the rest of culture, and God comes down on them pretty strongly and says, don't do that. Seek the welfare of the city that you're in. Go engage the culture that you're in. Quiet isn't isolate yourself or withdraw from culture, from society, from people who are different. You could argue, well, it's really easy not to gossip if there's no one else around. Yes, that's true. It's also impossible to preach the gospel if there's no one else around. So quiet isn't isolation. And I know most of us aren't thinking about a year where we don't talk to another human being, but we have our own ways of isolating ourselves. To create a shelter, a cocoon, where uh, anyone who thinks differently, looks differently, or acts differently, we push aside and we say, I'm going to have a quiet life. I'm just going to turn off all the noise of what's going on in the real world, and I'm just going to seclude myself. I think this is a contradiction to the way Christ lived. So quiet is not isolation. Quiet isn't passiveness or Passivity. Passivity is often the result of apathy or a lack of courage or a misconstrued idea of our identity in Christ. And so passivity often comes across as saying, well, I don't speak up when I ought. I am apathetic when I should be assertive. And so quietness, though, can be confused for passivity. And under the guise of quiet, we say, well, I'm just not going to say anything. And so what happens is injustice, or when we should speak up, we don't. And so quiet isn't just uh, withdrawing and letting things uh, happen that ought not to happen because we're being quiet. So quiet isn't passiveness. Quiet also isn't, by the way, passive aggressiveness. Uh, Passive aggressiveness uh, is one of Satan's um, best tactics in creating division and disruption. Passive aggressiveness is under uh, the idea of being quiet, saying, well, I'm not going to disagree uh, with anything. I'm just going to silently or um, under the radar uh, to the people who are in my close circle cause division and disruption through my language. But we do it under the idea of being submissive. It's that silent dissension that is highly destructive. So quiet isn't weakness, and quiet isn't isolation. It's not passivity or passive aggressiveness, and it's also not lacking ambition. We can think, well, quiet means uh, that I just go along with the the flow, and I I don't ever have dreams or goals. Now, I hope you have big goals and big dreams for this year. And at some point in the series, I'm going to make the argument that the best way to accomplish those big goals and those big dreams is to live quietly that the most successful people have actually understood this concept of biblical quiet. And so we can hear the word quiet, and we think, well, that's, uh, you know, I'm a type A, go-getter, ambitious. That word's not really for me. No, there's a quiet way to have big big dreams, big goals, big ambition. So that's what quiet isn't. It's not weakness, isolation, passivity, passive-aggressiveness, or a lack of ambition. So then, what is it? What did the apostle Paul, remember, he is an apostle. Only 12 people were given the title of apostle. He's writing on God's behalf for us to hear today. His motivation is he wanted a church that felt alive, that was loving, that was healthy. And he writes in it, aspire to live quietly. He's teaching us something. He's teaching us a key to living. So what is quiet? Well, our our phrase is aspire to live quietly. So we need to understand both elements of this phrase to properly understand what Paul was getting at. This first word is aspire. It's a Greek word, philatimaeo. And what the word means is to be ambitious about accomplishing something. To set your mind to getting it done, to have a singular focus. The word aspire is only used four times in the scriptures. One other time that it was used was in Psalm 131, which was the text that we studied last week in like a prologue to this series. And in that use of the word aspire, Paul or not Paul, David uses it in like a negative connotation. He says, I don't aspire for things too high for me. But what was the end aim of not aspiring? To obtain quiet. And so here, Paul uses the same word. This time he uses it in a positive connotation with the same end, to obtain quiet. We're being told here to be ambitious about something. Now, if I told you to aspire to anything else, you would begin to think through what that phrase meant. If I said, aspire to be the best fan of your sports team, Uh, aspire to uh, get in better shape, aspire to get better grades, aspire to fill in the blank, you would know that along with that phrase aspire to, that it was going to demand some intentional action on your part. That aspiration without application is useless. That until we take our aspirations and put In intentional thought and plan on how to accomplish it, then what's the point of aspiring? You hear the phrase, I'm an aspiring artist. No, you're a poor waitress, right? So, aspire to live quietly can just be a dream that we throw out there, or we can take it and put action into place. The Apostle Paul does want you to be ambitious. He wants you to be ambitious about being quiet. Quiet. So let's look at the word quiet. This word is not used often in the scripture either, four times. And I'm not even going to try to say the Greek word because it's really difficult to say. Quiet. Here's the definition in our Bible dictionary, keeping to your own business instead of prying into other people's affairs, refraining from meddling, rest, cease, keep still, inward focus. There's clearly two elements to this word quiet. The first is external, relational, The second is internal, your heart, your soul, your mind. What probably drove you to church this morning, if you knew what we were talking about, was the second, the internal, the, I want a peaceful life. But the way these things work, these two elements of quiet, uh, they're not linear. It's not one leads to the next. They're circular. One helps the other and the other helps the other. When we have an inward peace, we're more likely not to uh, engage in unhealthy behavior of meddling. And when we're not meddling, it helps create peace in our hearts and souls. They're circular and they're both captured in this word quiet. So if we look at Paul's instruction, he's saying, I want you to be ambitious about not meddling in other people's lives. I want you to set a goal of inward rest and peace, and ceasing. The first one, not prying into other people's affairs, not meddling, as uh, the the definition says. This relational, external part. Next week, our entire talk is going to be on minding your own business. So everyone write down five people who they're going to invite next week. (laughs) Easiest invite ever. That's all we're going to talk about next week, minding your own business, M-Y-O-B. And so we'll fully get into that, but let me give you kind of a snapshot, just in case you don't make it next week, because this is the first element of quiet, not prying, meddling. And so uh, one element of this is the idea of gossip and slander, and, and the Christian refusing to engage in this type of conversation. I'm going to give you a phrase next week. Uh, I'm going to use it a lot next week, but I'm going to give it to you today just in case we don't see you again, and that is this, let the noise stop with you. So on Sunday mornings, we practice in here with our band, and our sound guys work on the sound and the volume, and then all of you fill in, and then we have to adjust the sound and the volume based upon how many bodies are in the room because you're sound absorbers. The same ought to be true of the Christian in their life. We are sound absorbers. Gossip stops. Slander stops with us. It stops with us because we don't pass it on or we don't initiate it. Let the noise stop with you. It's also saying don't pry, don't meddle. If you want a sure way to create a lack of quiet in your life, stick your nose where it doesn't belong. Pry into somebody else's life. Hop into a situation that has nothing to do with you. Meddling in other people's affairs is one of the easiest ways to cause stress and havoc in our lives. And a consistent pattern of meddling in other people's lives, Uh, it reveals a lack of character, a lack of integrity, a lack of boundaries, and it just produces a lack of quiet. And so at the beginning, Paul is saying, be ambitious this year, about not meddling, gossiping, or slandering. Now, this is certainly tied back to Paul's point that in order to love each other more and more, we meddle less and less. Full sermon on that next week. The other element is perhaps the element that you're more at first concerned about. What does it look like to be at rest, to cease, to be still? So it drove you here this morning. It's what you're thinking about on how do I have a quiet life? How do, I, how do I feel at rest? Well, to aspire to anything, as I said previously, there has to be a plan in place. I, roll, I bowled a 220 when I was a junior in high school. It's the only time I've ever broken 200. Of course, as a junior, when I bowled at 220, I thought to myself, I need to join the PBA, the Professional Bowlers Association. Seems like a very legitimate career path. I could probably do this up into my 50s, you know, until my wrist gives out. And so this is what I'm going to do. But then the next round, I bowled uh, like 110. So the dream left. This morning, I want each of you to be in the Professional Bowlers Association, the PBA but the PBA isn't going to stand for Professional Bowlers Association. It's going to stand for three things that have to be present in our lives in order for us to achieve the quiet that Paul is talking about here. Let me give them to you. Priorities, boundaries, and absolutes. Priorities, boundaries, and absolutes. You and I are incapable of achieving this type of quiet and rest without priorities, boundaries, and absolutes. Paul said, aspire, be ambitious, set a goal. If you've ever set a goal, you've written it down, you've given it a timeline, there's a specific end result on it, you know the only way to accomplish that goal is to put a plan in place that you then walk out and follow. That's why we have Fitbits and Apple Watches, Right? set the goal, the move goal. I got to hit it every day. Well, we're going to set a quiet goal. A quiet goal. And what's part of that strategy? PBA, priorities, boundaries, and absolutes. Jesus modeled this so beautifully. Oftentimes throughout his ministry here on earth, people tried to get Jesus sidetracked. They tried to get him to build the kingdom of this earth or of the powers of this earth, as opposed to a kingdom of God. One time, he had to have a little conversation with his mom about when his time was and what he was supposed to do when he was supposed to do it. Jesus knew what he was about, his father's business. And nothing was going to take him from that. The Apostle Paul picks up on this theme when he was writing to a young pastor named Timothy. And he said, like a a military person doesn't get involved in civilian affairs, Timothy, say, focus on the mission that you've been given. Have your priorities. Then he uses another metaphor. He says, like an athlete, trains, hard to win. Focus on what you've been called to do. Have your priorities. There were times when people would say, hey, Jesus, can I come with you? Can I be in your inner circle? And you know what Jesus would say? Nope. We don't know why other than this. He picked 12, and then he picked three. You know what those are called? Boundaries. Boundaries. And then Jesus had absolutes, things that were always constantly true in his life. One of them was he absolutely knew he was going to the cross. Regardless of how much it hurt, regardless of how hard it was leading up to it, he was going to the cross. Absolutely. Oh, and we're glad that he did because it secured our salvation. Priorities are this, asking the question, what is most important? The quickest way for quiet to leave your life is to have no priorities because then everything is a priority. I would suggest it's almost impossible to say no if you don't have priorities, But the establishment of priorities helps you then say no to anything that doesn't fit within the realm of the priority. And so if you want to aspire an active word, a goal-setting, intentional, thought-out plan of achieving quiet, then start with priorities, For some of us who are younger, this would be the first time that we've ever sat down and actually done something like this. For some of us who are older, we're revisiting an idea of sitting down and asking ourselves again, what is most important in my life? What is most important in my life? Or what is most important in this season of life right now? What do I need to say no to at the beginning of the year? Or what am I saying yes to right now at the beginning of the year so when other things come up later in the year, I've already said no to them because they don't fit within the priorities. Without priorities, you'll be saying yes to all sorts of things you should never say yes to. Starts with that. What's most important? It's most important? Then boundaries help priorities Stay priorities. Boundaries are an intentional act of self control. They're pre self control. What boundaries do is they establish the line so you don't have to establish it in the middle of an action. Let me give you an example I'm addicted to puppy chow, it's absolutely delicious since I first discovered it outside of the gospel and my wife. It's the most life-changing thing I've experienced. If you don't know what puppy chow is, it's a candy, not dog food. This is not a weird place, okay? Here's what I know about puppy chow. How much I eat is dependent upon the size of the container. If you give me a napkin, I eat a napkin's worth. If you give me a semi-truck, I eat a semi-truck's worth unless it's after 7.30. Because for the last two years, I've intermittent fasting, which means 95% of days, I do not eat unless it's 12 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. See, I had to set that as an intentional boundary in my life. And it's helped immensely. It's helped immensely with health and weight loss and all sorts of things. And so now, when it's 7.31, I can release the puppy chow because it's 731. I had to place that boundary in my life. If I was going to aspire uh, to get back to my high school graduation weight, which I'm on this like two-year journey to do, if I'm going to aspire to do that, it's going to require, that was the priority, some boundaries in order to get there. If you're going to aspire to live quietly, you're going to have to establish some boundaries in order to get there. Boundaries might be, we don't use devices after nine o'clock. Boundaries might be, hey, when we're at the dinner table, uh, the phones are in wherever else. Boundaries are intentional plans of self-control. One boundary that can help produce quiet for many of us is called a budget We probably have heard the statistic that money problems are one of the top two reasons why people get divorced. Money problems. You want to create a lack of quiet in your life? Marital stress will do that. It's the opposite of quiet. It might be silent, but it's not quiet. And so if money is one of the top two reasons why people get divorced, then a budget is a boundary that helps stop that from resulting in that. That's why we're offering FPU. I would encourage you to sign up. Lindsay and I started um, budgeting every month before the month began. And so now, when Lindsay goes to her favorite store, Home Depot, right, um, it's not a joke. She loves it. When she goes to her favorite store, Home Depot, guess what I can do? Relax. Why? Because it's in the budget. So it's quiet intentional boundaries that align with the priority. Aspire. Make a plan to live quietly. Make a plan to settle the stress in your life, in your marriage, in your family. If you just aspire to something and there's no plan that comes after it, then you're never going to get there. Aspire to live quietly. Priorities, boundaries, and then absolutes is the third one. Absolutes. These are things that must be true in your life on a consistent basis in order for you to achieve what you want to achieve. They're absolutes. Absolutes. One of the absolutes that I established uh, early on in my life, early by like, like late teens. And if you're a middle school student or a high school student right now or a college student even, there's not a better absolute that you could place into your life than what I'm about to talk about. And for me, I call it either three by seven or three by 10, depending on how much time I have that day or that morning. And that is I'm going to spend absolutely. I'm a math nerd, so I keep track of this stuff. Last year, I had a 93% success rate. Okay, like I actually tracked it. I'm going to spend seven minutes reading and praying or reading and journaling, seven minutes in focused prayer and seven minutes reading another book that encourages me or grows me up every day. It's just an absolute. I'm absolutely going to do it. It's an absolute. It happens every day, 93% of the days. It's an absolute. It's just a part of my life. And when we establish these absolutes in our lives, what they do is they end up becoming the things that build our lives, that build our time. Now, that's just one absolute, but you can apply this concept or principle to everything. And so maybe uh, the the scriptures actually um, teach us some absolutes that are helpful for us. The scriptures talk about the idea of the Sabbath, Now, we could have a long argument on whether or not the Sabbath still applies under the new covenant and all of that. But what we're supposed to see is the principle underneath where God said, hey, how about you just absolutely take one day off of work a week so you can breathe and relax? Hebrews. talks about gathering together as the body of Christ. And so maybe an absolute this year for you is we're absolutely going to make it on Sunday mornings because we need the reminder of God's blessing and his goodness and the time to sing and to just take a breather and to be together as a family and to listen to scripture and to... And so we're going to make it an absolute. For everyone, I want to encourage you with the absolute that I just talked about, that every day I am apt Absolutely. On vacation or not on vacation. Working that day or off that day. I'm going to organize, set up my life, your life, so that you absolutely spend time with God. You let him quiet your soul. When these things then are present in our lives priorities that produce boundaries that are supported by absolutes it brings quiet we say no to that which we don't need we've made predecisions not to run down paths that are unhealthy or harmful and we have patterns whether they're daily or weekly or monthly that bring good into our lives so why does quiet matter I mean, think of the outcome of this way of life. You have strong convictions, but you don't get in fights. You engage people with the gospel without taking on their bad habits. You appropriately know how to handle conflict. You can express what's going on inside of you without producing increased angst in those who are hearing it. You're ambitious without pride. You have priorities that tell you what's most important. And your soul has an intentional plan to find rest. That's quiet, and that's good. You know what else happens along the way? You start to look like Jesus when you do that. Jesus was certainly not weak. He had strong convictions that he was winsome in how he presented them. Jesus only isolated himself so that he would have spiritual strength to go engage people with the gospel. Jesus certainly didn't lack ambition. He planted a church that still exists 2,020 years later. When we obtain quiet, we also begin to look more like Christ. Christ. And as Paul said in the text, quiet produces a more loving church. And I just have to think that if quiet produces a church that loves each other more and more, it can produce spouses that love each other more and more, parents, and kids, and siblings, and coworkers that love each other more and more. Be ambitious this year. Be ambitious, singularly focused about achieving quiet. So your homework, sit down, priorities, boundaries, and some absolutes, and see how God uses that to produce quiet in your heart.